0: Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel and resources for pastors. You can get more information at the shepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. It's going to be a great joy today to interview my friend Jameis Edwards from Owensboro, the big booming metropolis of Owensboro, Kentucky. How's it going down there today, man?
1: Going great, man. It's hotter than a two-dollar
0: pistol. We like it. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get some southern accent, but also some southern southern. Uh, uh, what are those called? Not etymology, but uh, colloquialisms. It sounds like. <laughs> so, uh, we'll, why don't we pray, and then I'll get into and get into these questions. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity, just to talk about you and uh, your Word and your people, and just life, living life as um, uh, Christian men and pastors, and then also just talk about ministry as well, and just give us clarity and precision with our words as we work through these questions. And I just pray for the conversation. I pray it be fun, and I pray that the listeners be encouraged and edified when they when they get to hear this. And I trust God that you're gonna that you're gonna do a work in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. All right. Well, for those who are not all that familiar with you, Jameis, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, tell us a little bit about your family and then what you do.
1: Yeah, man. So uh, I'm married to Annie Lee. She is from Southern Illinois. We met at Murray State University back in the early 2000s, and uh, Annie and I got married right after we graduated college and we moved to Louisville, where I went to Southern Seminary at that time, and then uh, God called us to replant Pleasant Valley Community Church here in Owensboro in 2006, and so uh, since that time, we've had three kids, James, Ellie, and Cruz. They're 11, 10, and 8, and awesome, and, uh, but that means we've been at Pleasant Valley for about 12 and a half years now, and, um, In addition to uh, pastoring uh, here at Pleasant Valley Community Church, I I serve as an adjunct instructor at Southern Seminary and also at uh, Western Kentucky University, where I teach organizational leadership and really enjoy kind of having that itch scratched a little bit um, in the classroom as well, engaging with uh, college students, seminary students, and uh, really uh, thankful for that opportunity.
0: Man, that's great. I didn't know that. Very cool. Yeah. yeah uh, that Don't they have the famous mascot at Western Kentucky? The, Hilltop. That's right. That's right. Now, how in the world did the Western Kentucky University's mascot get popular? But I, I have no idea. It yeah, did. That's,
1: that's a great question, man. What we'll to Google that one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, throw in there an interesting side fact that you're um, related to June Carter Cash, correct? That's exactly right. That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah,
1: so June Carter who, of course, married Johnny Cash, was my dad's first cousin. And my grandmother, Sylvia Carter, was part of the original Carter family, who— Uh, For probably most of our listening audience, that name means nothing, but in the 1920s and 30s, the Carter family would have been the equivalent of Florida-Georgia line today. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not stylistically, but in terms of their popularity in the country music genre. They were it back then. And so, My grandmother taught June Carter how to play the guitar. My dad Mm -hmm. and mom both had vivid memories of eating dinner in Johnny Cash's home on multiple accounts, and backstage, Grand Ole Opry, with all the... Uh, all the famous country stars. And so, unfortunately, I got none of that musical ability, but I do have the bragging rights to say. Uh, related to the man in black. That's who cool. made the sermon yesterday, by the way. The sermon introduction was about Johnny Cash and uh, him being the man in black.
0: Nice. Good stuff, man. That's a great book to start a sermon as well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you've been at Pleasant Valley for 12 years, but kind of back us up a little bit. Tell us about the internal call to ministry. Uh, that you experienced and then kind of that external process into uh, ministry. I know you did go to seminary and you you know you've continued your education beyond that and uh, but, but what that that original call tell us about that and then tell us how how you ended up you know getting that affirmed externally.
1: Yeah so man, I was a sophomore in high school it was that summer and I went to at chrysalis down in Paducah, Kentucky, which is kind of the youth version of an Emmaus walk. It was actually sponsored by the Methodist Church. And, uh, man, it was a Saturday night, and I was uh, 16 years old-ish and just really seeking God's will for my life. Um had had no idea it was going to be ministry. Um, I was just praying through, Lord, where do you want me to go to college in a few years? What do you want me to be when I grow up? Nobody in my family, uh, my, you know, my father wasn't a pastor, my grandfather wasn't a pastor, so it wasn't as though I'd had people speaking this expectation into my life. Ministry really wasn't, for would have had no reason to have been on my radar. Um, so that Saturday night, though, I was really just humble and low as a 16-year-old young man. I really wanted to know Was I going to be an architect? Was I going to be an engineer? Which is what my dad wanted me to be. Was I going to be a basketball coach and a high school teacher? Like, God, just give me a sign. As I was praying that humble, sincere prayer, the word preach just kept coming into my mind. Hmm. Um, It's not a charismatic, had come from a charismatic background, never heard, you know, had a vision or anything like that. Um, It was unexplainable. It was supernatural. It wasn't an audible voice. It was actually louder than that. Preach. Mm-hmm. Preach. preach out of the blue no one that weekend had spoken on preaching no one had like dropped a little bug in my ear it was ridiculous how clear it was and so i'm i'm ignoring the 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 word preach though I, i'm just keep saying all right but god but what do you want me to do should i go to murray state should i go to university of kentucky and i just kept hearing the word preach and finally it was so overwhelmingly clear in my prayer i said lord are you trying to Say something to me here. God, are you trying to tell me you want me to be a preacher? It's like, mm. duh. I was like, I was like, I'm 16, though. And I said, God, if you want me to be a preacher, you're going to give me a sign because this is just crazy. As soon as I said that, <laughs> I And uh, I turned around, and the man that was kind of leading me that weekend said, Jameis, God told me to come over here and check in on you. I feel like he's working in your heart. What's going on? I was like, well, I think God just told me he wanted me to be a preacher. And so he, wow. he prayed with me. And, man, in that prayer, I, I basically said, Lord, I'll do it. And as soon as I said that, um, I had, for lack of better terms, man, a, a supernatural spiritual experience. And I know this is not something that everybody has that goes in the ministry, so I don't want to project this onto others. And if you haven't had this, you weren't called. Yeah. Um, I, the Lord knew it would be so difficult for me to accept that call. He had to make it almost an out-of-body experience. Wow. It was just... was floating on the top of the ceiling in that old Methodist sanctuary at downtown Paducah. It was so real. The peace, the presence of the Holy spirit came over me in a way that I had never, and to this day experienced in my life. It was so cool that when I said, yes, God was like, this is it. And I'm going to rock your mind to make it so (laughs) clearly. So, so I was 16. That went great for about four hours uh, and then I lay down to sleep that night and realized what I had done. Um, and, and I began to be scared as a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> the thought of being a pastor, because what you have to understand about me is I was by a long shot the shyest kid in my whole school. Wow. So if you have asked um, the people in Trick County, who is the most unlikely person in this school system to grow up and have a job where he speaks publicly uh, for a profession. I would have been the last candidate. I was wow. awkward. I was timid. I was shy on the days I had to give a, a speech in class. I would pretend to be sick. I mean, I was ridiculously shy. And mm-hmm. so the idea of me being a preacher, it was really impossible. I mean, it would have to be the Lord supernaturally doing the work. And, um, so I was just became very scared of that and said, Lord, I can't, God, I can't even, uh, have a conversation with a person without like getting red in the face. I could never get up in front of people and and, and preach. And so I ran really hard from that call for two years, Hmm. fell into sin, um, was in an ungodly immoral relationship at that time. Um, just running hard from God's call. Man, when I was 18 years old, I was about to graduate high school, um, I was miserable. Hmm. From the outside looking in, I had the perfect life. I was dating the captain of the cheerleader squad. I had a 4.0. I was about to go to college. I, you know, I played on the basketball team. Like Everybody thought Jameis Evers had this perfect life. I was dying on the inside. Hmm. And the reason is I was running from God's call on my life. Wow. So I was it was that May. I was about to graduate, and I, I'm lying upstairs in my bedroom, literally physically weeping, saying, God, why do I hate my life so much? Hmm. Why are things so bad? Why is my soul at turmoil within me? And as soon as I said that, that same experience that happened when I was 16 came up over me again. I kept wow. hearing the word pretty identical to that night in Paducah two years prior. And I was like, all right, Lord, I get it. I'm done. I surrender. You win. Fine. I'll do it. As soon as I said that, that same transcendent peace came over me. It was like out of my experience. And the Lord just let me know that I know that I know that I know. This was his call of my life. And I could choose to go another direction. But if I did, it was going to be a miserable experience. So I said, man, I preached my first sermon at 18 a couple months after that. And uh man started preaching on a regular basis this pulpit supply at local churches in Kentucky and Tennessee and um, that led me to Murray State where I have and then I decided I was going to go to seminary after that. okay And that's that's the story, man.
0: Incredible. Now, okay, so you go to Murray State, go to Southern, and then during that process, word gets uh, around that there's an opening at Pleasant Valley. I forget the, all the details. There for that. But now, how do you end up landing at Pleasant Valley? So,
1: I was in student ministry for a few years during seminary, and uh, a man that was mentoring me at that time worked for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And he had become the interim pastor of a little congregation here in Owensboro that at that time was called New Focus Community Church. New Focus had been a church plant back in the mid-90s, had died. They lost their pastor, lost their building, lost most of their people, and they were going to close the doors. In a last-ditch effort to survive, they called the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and a a church consultant came down, kind of coached them, mentored them. He, He agreed to become their interim pastor for six months, and so for six months he drove from Louisville to Owensboro every week, and preached to them. At that time, at Owensboro Middle School, they didn't have a building. And he said, I will help you find a pastor. So he called me, and he said, Jameis, there's this little church in Owensboro, and um, they are looking for a a pastor. They're willing to take a chance on a young guy. And he said, I think you'd be a good fit. I was 24 Mm -hmm. years old, um, and I knew God was calling me out of student ministry. I knew he had called me to be a preaching pastor. So we drove to Owensboro, and long story short, man, it became very clear to both us and the congregation this is where God would have us to be. And so in December of 2006, in one business meeting, they changed the name of the church from New Focus to Pleasant Valley. Hmm. Uh, they hired me as a pastor, and we secured the building that we're currently in. And so oh, it's, it was a good plant. Um, everything was new from that point forward, new philosophy of ministry, new the- theological vision. Um, everything changed. It, it was a church plant, but with um, the already established congregation, had a building, had a little money in the bank. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of the best of both worlds, the advantages of a church plant, but also some of the benefits and securities of an established
0: church. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. That sounds like the most successful business meeting of all time yeah. <laughs> to, to land all yeah. three of those things. Oh, and there was a fried
1: chicken there that night too and some holy cow cake I remember in particular. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Man, I love hearing that. And uh, it's just neat to see you know, it's twelve years, and I got to peek in a little bit about five or six years ago. I guess now is when we started talking a little bit, but uh, really neat to see what the Lord has done at Pleasant Valley. We'll get to that a little bit more of that here in a bit. But uh, you're a young pastor then; you're 24, um, and you are married at that time, correct? Any kids yet at that time?
1: Uh, not at that time.
0: Okay. Uh, we got another another kid sneaking in here. I office from home. Uh, a couple of days a week, and today's one of those days. And so Ransom just came in here and got a toy of his. Uh, awesome. So everybody that's listening in, you get to hear how real this is here. Uh, so you're 24, married, and pastor in this church in Owensboro. You didn't grow up in Owensboro. So did you have any sages? I mean, where did you go for wisdom, for counsel? I'm assuming you didn't have yet a solid elder team. Maybe you did. But like, where did you get that sage council? Who did you go to and how did you get it?
1: Yeah, we, we did not have an elder team at that time. And so that, that had to come externally. And uh, man, the, the, the number one person that, that God placed in my life is Pastor Ted Christman, uh, or uh, as we affectionately called him, PT. Pastor Ted had been at Heritage Baptist Church at that point for over 30 years um, pastor Ted actually just tragically passed away uh, several months ago. Um, he had been the pastor, founding pastor and senior pastor at Heritage Baptist for over 45 years. Mm-hmm. But PT became my mentor from day one. As soon as I moved into Owensboro, uh, he called me, reached out to me, and uh, man, just took me under his wing. And particular, in those early years, I would say the first three or four years, there, there was rarely a week that went by that I wasn't on the phone with Ted Christman hmm. seeking counsel. Man, how do I handle the situation with my deacons? How do we transition to elders? You know, how do I handle this conflict? How do I teach this doctrine when my people have never heard this before? You name yeah. it. Um, he was he was an absolute rock in my life, a mentor, a friend, a spiritual father of sorts that God provided. And I attribute much of the, uh, 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 for lack of a better term, much of the effectiveness of, of Pleasant Valley's ministry to Pastor Ted Christman. Uh, wow. He and many, pastored our church in the sense that he was pastoring me.
0: Hmm.
1: And uh, I I couldn't have done it without him. Uh, I didn't have a clue what
0: I was doing. I I don't now, honestly. I really didn't then, (laughs) you
1: know, in my mid-20s. And so, man, he was just a godsend. And uh, there were some other faithful pastors in this area, too, for sure, that I called on and and have been there for me over the years. Ed Crispin was, was, uh, in particular, uh, the man that God used.
0: Okay. Now, a lot of my listeners are younger, younger guys. They say they're in a similar situation. How how did they, how important is that? How important was past, pa, Pastor Ted in your life? And I mean, clearly pretty important, but how important is it for young guys to seek out that sort of sage wisdom if they're going to, uh, you know, really navigate those first few years? I mean, is it crucial? I mean, so, and some of that obviously is, you know, was Ted, Pastor Ted reaching into your life and, and him taking some initiative as well? But for guys that may not have somebody like that, how important it is for them to seek that sort of relationship out?
1: Yeah, well, I just, I think you have to. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. biblical. I mean, you read the Proverbs, and uh, there's there's wisdom in, in seeking uh, many advisors, you know, the Scripture says. And, and man, I just think that... Um, if you don't have that guy already in your life, if someone uh, like Ted did for for me, initiated. If they haven't initiated to you, I think you just get on your knees, low before the Lord, and you ask God to, to provide that person in your life. And, and you may have to you may have to take the initiative, um, but just find someone you can trust. It's ideal, I think, if they if they live in your area, so you can mm-hmm. have some Facetime. Of course, nowadays you've got Facetime. I mean, if they live across the country, that's great too. Um, but you need at least one, preferably a couple guys that you can call in the middle of the night that when your elder team is about to blow up, you can call, um, when you don't know what to do, you can call. I just, I think we're very unwise if we try to be pastors on our own, hmm. which is a whole other argument for why you need a plurality of pastors, right? Yeah. You need that internally. But a lot of young guys starting off, man, like me didn't have a plurality of elders. Right. And so you need to go find yourself a pastor, um, not just listening to Matt Churnler's uh, sermons on podcasts. That's great, mm-hmm. but that's not what I'm talking about. You need a guy that knows you and that can ask you hard questions about your life. Yeah. Are you, for example, sacrificing your family on the altar of ministry? Mm-hmm. Are you loving your people well? Um, how are you balancing family and ministry life? You, you need a guy that knows you well enough to ask the honest, sincere, hard questions Um, And I just, I just don't know how you survive without that. I think you could probably survive, but I don't know that you can survive effectively and fruitfully. And God's just faithful. You see that model in the scripture, you know, older men teaching younger men and older women teaching younger women. I just think God set this thing up so that we're always dependent upon other people who are further along than we are. Mm-hmm. And then by God's grace, one day we're able to turn around and shepherd that younger generation coming behind us in the same way that it's it's happened to us. I just think it's essential. I think it's crucial. I think it's absolutely necessary.
0: Yeah. Well, I've had some local pastors that have been that for me. Pastor Greg is, is my Pastor Ted, uh, and he's been so helpful for me over the years. But uh, you and I are about the same age, but I— Consider you kind of an older man in my life who's fulfilled some of those roles as well, in the sense that you've helped me through some hard ministry situations. When I first, you know, contacted you, uh, you know, your sister-in-law was in, our, in Jordan Eye's wedding, and so I kind of knew you through that. I knew Annie from from school, and I'd heard a little bit about what had gone on at Pleasant Valley, and reached out. and You'd been so kind to talk with me on the phone and and really help me work through some difficult situations that I had gone through. And so the, the question I was going to ask, you kind of just answered, was going to be, why is it important for pastors to help other pastors? But I'm going to flip it and ask me the question, <laughs> and then uh, just say how, how helpful that was for me. Um, the You had said something to me, and you'd I think you had said you'd heard it from somebody else, but you said, you know, don't, um, sometimes we overestimate what can be done in a year at a church, but underestimate what can be done in five years. There, there were... Uh, what God can do in five years or something like that. And as we I was working through this stuff at a previous church, things like that were tremendously helpful to think big picture. But then also when things started imploding at the church, your counsel through that was tremendously helpful. And there was a handful of guys of which you were a part of that God used to kind of sustain me. And so just on on behalf of you being there for me, man, thank I I appreciate it. And I can agree that, that that's, that that's crucial. Um, mm-hmm. So currently then why is it important for you now? It, it's just, I can imagine so difficult that pastor Krishman is, you know, passed away passed away several years ago. You do have a plurality of elders now in place, but do you still have that? I mean, we have sojourn network, we have, you know, friends in ministry, even you and I being mm-hmm. buddies, but do you, do you have some pastors that you can go to still to this day that may not be in your, your church? Um, well, I'm going to talk about friendship in the church uh, between the elder body here in a second but do you still have some of those relationships sage- sagely wise counsel outside of the local body yeah man
1: absolutely There, you know, there's probably five to seven guys uh, all of which uh, are pastors that, uh, that, that I know are there at a moment's notice if I need them I and mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a simple text message hey man I need you to pray for me right now on this situation or sometimes hey can we talk in the next couple of days I really need to pick your brain and man those five to seven guys um, it may be once a year for some of them that I talk with them. for others it's three or four times a year but I know that they're there and there's some goats to guys externally you, you have to have those brothers on the inside as well once you develop your plurality but sometimes the things you need to talk about and the things you need wisdom on are specifically related to uh, your own plurality. And yeah. so it's good to have outside, objective, uh, unbiased uh, insight and uh, wisdom you can get. And so I think that's always
0: important. Yeah, that's good. You don't ever outgrow the need for training, care, coaching, you know, people who are ahead of you in in, in many ways. Yeah, it's good. So you, you've been there at Pleasant Valley now and you've got to experience what so many guys want to experience, which is God bringing growth. And it, it really, the scale that you've experienced it, it we kind of live in this world where we can see all the revivals that are happening through the country and it doesn't feel like revival because we see on the internet churches uh, you know, growing to 5,000 people in a year or something like that and we miss sometimes the work of God that is right in front of us. And as I see what's happened in Owensboro, I mean, God's been at work. I mean, it's nothing short of what would have been defined historically as a revival. I mean, God has been at work. And you've got to see massive amounts of people become Christians and baptized and walking with the Lord and people delivered from, uh, you know, addiction and you're just all sorts of things that, that I've heard uh, from what's what's ha- been happening down there. So with growth comes change. And sometimes change can be difficult. You know, obviously, it's some good change, but also some hard change so how have things changed over the years as you've grown and then what are some of the challenges you faced with those changes
1: yeah man that, that's a great question um, I, I think one of the things that's been a challenge for us as more people have become a part of uh, our congregation is simply how do you uh, pastorally care for uh, for many people you know it's when, when it's a small group of people gathering, uh, it's, it's very easy to do pastoral care. Everybody has your phone number, you know, you're, you're available, you're accessible. Um, at some point though it it gets to where you've got all these people coming on Sundays and they're hearing the sermon, but you you lose a little bit of that personal touch and people can very quickly become lost in the crowd. And so I think it's, it's been a challenge for us. Just how do we care for people outside of the Sunday morning context? Hmm. We made the mistake uh, of not focusing on community, and by community, I mean fellowship. I don't mean like reaching the community. We didn't uh, uh, just didn't have the insight, just didn't have the wisdom to see that uh, is crucial until our church had probably grown to 500 people. So we were essentially, and we never set out to do this. But we had essentially become a Sunday morning church. You know, we had we went from thirty people to five hundred in a pretty short amount of time, and that's great. That's exciting. But none of these people were in small groups. None mm-hmm. of these people were being cared for outside of the Sunday morning context. You know, you had crisis marriages situations. You would do counseling, of course, but there was nothing systematic. There was nothing intentional, and uh, and so it was difficult to to now get hundreds of people uh, to get into community when they have become accustomed to only coming on Sundays. Yeah. So that's mm. why if you're starting all over and you're planting a church, uh, you have people in groups day one, you know, have have discipleship happening on an interpersonal level out of the gates. Yeah. Because we'll get accustomed to just showing up on Sundays. It's very difficult or has been in our experience to get them to go back. And so just caring for people has been a challenge getting people in groups uh, as our church has grown since that time as well is, has has been a challenge for us over the years. We're, we're seeing progress there. We're seeing fruit there. We're growing there. But, um, I think that's just, I, I don't know how churches do it that mm. have you know, thousands of, of people. I, I mean, I think they have great small groups and many yeah. of them, but I, I know it's very easy for people to get lost in the crowd in, in larger churches.
0: Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good stuff, man. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times you said earlier that you you, you still don't know what you're doing. Uh, you definitely didn't in your 20s. And it is this weird thing where in pastoral ministry, there's always this, you know, head-scratching moments that we have during the week. It's like, I, I literally have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like, we're trying our best here. We're getting some structures and systems. But, man, this is, this is hard. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine with that rapid growth, the difficulty there, I think that would be a common thing with churches that grow really quick like that. Um, okay, so you guys used to be a part of Acts 29. Uh, now you're part of the Sojourn Network. And everybody knows when, when they think Acts 29, they think Mark Driscoll. And, you know, I'm of the that generation that was so influenced in the mid-2000s by by Driscoll. One of the things that he had said that stuck with me, and it wasn't for a good reason. I was confused by it. He said that you can't be friends with people in your church. He would say to pastors that you can't be friends with your elders or with your staff. You have to have friends externally. And I've been around you guys enough to see that there's real friendship. I mean, you guys like each other. You're not just business associates. You're just not, you know, church colleagues or something like that. You're actually friends and you enjoy one another. You can laugh. You, you, I mean, you're notorious for practical jokes. If you ever get to stay with Jameis and the Pleasant Valley guys, uh, beware. Um, but, that's a real friendship. So for you guys, those friendships that have been cultivated, has it been just natural? I mean, because I look at that and think, man, that's that's incredible, or has mm-hmm. it been something you guys have intentionally tried to cultivate within your team, or is it just that God brought you guys got you know the church a bunch of guys that really just click? How's that happened?
1: Man, that's that's a great question. I it's it's more not to over spiritualize the answer, but it's, generally speaking, this more of God's kindness and bringing. Uh, together a group of guide to use your language um, a lot of it is just that's the way it worked out uh, we've not been as intentional as we should have been um, I think the the only thing that I've tried to do to help cultivate friendships in our eldership and staff is just to make sure that when we're together it's not simply business and ministry hmm. we're just going to intentionally bring Um, and I in particular want to initiate that, bring a lighthearted mood to a lot of what we're doing and we're going to cut up and laugh and have fun when we're together. Now, of course, there's a time to be very serious and we're able to do that, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, but, uh, every elders meeting, uh, we have fun, we laugh, we cut up, um, we, we play pranks on each other. We joke, we make fun of each other, and we do things that friends do, um, I try to make it not feel like this is our job as much as it is. We enjoy being here. We would probably want to be hanging out even if we didn't work together. Well while we're here, let's let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. While we're here, let's talk about the business of the church. Let's talk about how we can best shepherd people and reach people. Um, and so I think it's always keeping that that atmosphere of for lack of better terms, lightheartedness, um, mm. uh, flexibility, fun. Don't take yourself too seriously, but but obviously knowing when to have that gear when it's time to be serious. I, I think that just creates a safe environment yeah. um, where feel free to be themselves, um, which is what you ought to be able to do with a friend. You don't yeah. have to put on an ass, you don't put on a game face. It's just like, man, this these are my guys. We love one another, we trust one another, and so we can uh, we can be real. We can laugh, we can have fun, but then we can turn around and weep together. Yeah, if that's what Do or or have a a hard conversation with one another if that's what we uh, need to do.
0: How how important is that friendship at Pleasant Valley regarding real accountability? Does does that help with accountability between one another having that that real friendship? And if you didn't have as real of a friendship as you guys have, would you be able to have as authentic accountability?
1: Man, that's that's a great question. I. Probably not. Um, I think that uh, true accountability is going to happen best when there's deep trust. Mm -hmm. Um, All the research shows that trust is cultivated when an emotional connection has been made between two people. And I I think you have that inherently in friendships. And so I think when you learn to laugh together, to have fun together, to weep together, to connect together emotionally, trust is cultivated. And when you trust someone, you're going to be honest With them, hopefully, when they look at you and say, uh, "Have you been kind to your wife this week? Um, Have you looked at anything inappropriate on the internet in the past six months?" Um, And so, I think it would be difficult for accountability to go well if you didn't trust the people, and I would imagine you wouldn't trust them if you weren't uh, friends with them. So, I I, I do. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's crucial, listeners. You know, don't don't buy the lie that you can't be friends with people in their church, uh, in, in the church that God calls you to serve. Certainly it's good to have relationships outside of local churches, but you have to have, if you're going to have that real accountability, you really do have to have local, in the church relationships that that uh, are friendships. Yeah, it's crucial. Yeah. Um, all right, a couple more questions for you. Let's switch gears a little bit. Now you've pursued your education beyond your MDiv and you've done doctoral work. Now you're teaching as well. You've got many hats that you wear. And normal pastoral responsibilities, you're married with children as well. So how have you, over the years, maintained that balance? You said earlier that we need somebody to step into our life and saying, hey, are you sacrificing your family on the altar of ministry? Sounds like maybe somebody has done that in your life, maybe, or challenged you in that way. Could you give an example of how you've kind of maintained appropriate structure and balance with that over the years? Um
1: Yeah, man. I'll I'll give a general principle that I've tried to live by, and then maybe a specific example or two. And the general principle is you have to learn to say no. Uh, I think it was Spurgeon. Um, So don't quote me in quoting Spurgeon, but I think it was Spurgeon. Uh, If if not, it was someone like Spurgeon who who said, quote, Learn. He spoke this to his ministerial students. Okay, He said, learn to say no, it will be of more benefit to you than learning to read Latin.
0: Hmm. Wow. The,
1: and many pastors tend to be people pleasers. Many of us tend to struggle with um, boundaries, with saying no to people, and we give in to the expectations that some of our congregations will have that we be at every event all the time that we're going to go to little Susie's uh, recital, that we're going to go to little junior's T-ball game. We're going to be at this funeral. We're going to be at that hospital call. We're going to be at that meeting and this meeting and that meeting. We're going to go to the Jones's house on Tuesday night and the Williams house on Thursday night. And we're going to do this on Friday and they want to have dinner after church Sunday. So we should probably do that. And the inability to say no for a pastor can just crush you hmm. because you'll find yourself um, working day and night because, uh, so you have to learn to say no to people and that's really hard for me because I'm a people pleaser to the core it's one of my, so it's a flaw for me for sure And uh, but I just learned several years ago I have to be able to do that and so um, it's hard the first several times so you get a text message hey man we would love for you guys to come over for dinner tomorrow night could y'all mm-hmm. come over response man that's so kind of you we would love to hang out with you but man I haven't, uh, this, it's a family night for us, man. We just, I just need to be home with my wife and kids.
0: Mm. No, we
1: are, we can't come. Yeah. It's really, really hard for me to say that, but I've learned to say that over the years. And I think it's, I think it's been crucial for our family. So more specifically though, generally speaking, I just don't do nighttime stuff. Okay. Kind of committed. I know that's my family time. Obviously emergencies happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you have to have a meeting at night, but generally speaking, I don't. If I to something at nighttime, church or ministry related, for me, probably 98% of the time, it's going to be something my family can come to with me. So if I have a membership meeting with a family and the only time they can do it because they both work during the day, okay. Well, we'll go meet at the Mexican restaurant, but my wife and kids are coming with me, mm-hmm. and so I, I just—I really try to be careful to preserve that family time. I don't want my kids remembering me as dad's always at work, yeah. and so I work during the day like everybody else. But when when it's when it's over, yeah, I know a pastor's job is unique. There's a real sense in which you're always on call. Of course, there's exceptional circumstances, but generally speaking, when
0: I'm home, I'm home. Yeah, and I'm not to take phone calls all night and I'm not going to be
1: going out to meetings again. I've just carved that in. This is family time, and uh, I think it saved us a lot of heartache over the years. I think it's prevented uh, my family from feeling like they're being sacrificed on the altar of ministry. I haven't done that perfectly. Don't get me wrong. There's been seasons where I've been terrible at that, and I haven't been home nights and nights in a row. Okay,
0: don't hear me say that I've I've done this perfectly. I have not, but I've really try to
1: grow in this area and i i think uh i think it's been helpful for our family
0: good i love that that's some helpful principles and i think the keeping the evenings open like that we've we've seen in our family these patterns and rhythms that if we don't have at least four nights a week at Mm -hmm. home then things go bad we start fighting arguing We, we need quality time together And evenings are crucial. I think that's a really good principle across the board, to protect evenings, protect evenings, protect evenings. Yeah, that's good. Uh, All right, why is Jesus so precious to you?
1: Man, Jesus uh, has just been so merciful to me. Man, I mean, I think back, I was a kid who complied to the rules I was outwardly submissive. I appeared to be a really good kid, but uh, my heart was just wrecked with ugly and pride and self-righteousness. And uh, Jesus just mercifully uh, uh, has been kind to me. And mm. even in that, that high school period when I was in rebellion, um, I, I should have suffered many, many, many disciplines from the father. Um, I should have a very different life than I have right now. Uh, Jesus saved me. He rescued me and he just showed me mercy and he has not held my sins against me either in the life to come or in this life. Hmm. He's just been uniquely merciful. There's no way in a million years I deserve to have the family that I have, and to pastor of the church that I pastor, and to and to be able to stand up and talk about Jesus every single week, uh, I just don't deserve that. Um, I never have, never will. And so Jesus has just been uh, incredibly loving
0: and merciful. He's awesome, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I love that. That's a great way to end. Uh, I'm so thankful you jumped on the show with me, and appreciate. You. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a joy to be here, man.
0: Good deal. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.